0: 20 Minutes with 20-somethings provides an open space for the critical and civil exchange of ideas. This is a content warning for this episode includes sexual assault, abuse, child abuse, and violence. We try to create an atmosphere of mutual respect and sensitivity and ask our audience to practice self-care and look after themselves. Hey guys, I'm Sam. And I'm Anj. Welcome to 20 Minutes with 20-somethings. We're going to chat with successful 20-somethings in various careers across the globe. So sit down, grab your popcorn, get a drink and join us every Wednesday right here. Shit, we're really doing this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go. Okay, I'm starting record. <laughs> woo, 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 woo! <laughs> we do this. We do this every show, literally. Nice, nice. But that's
1: how it's fun, right? It's good. Yeah. Anyway.
0: All right. So let's begin. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Twenty Minutes with Twenty Somethings. We have with us here today Advocate Gayatri Nitin Gokhale, who practices criminal and divorce law in India. Gayatri has been a part of some very noteworthy cases where she was the lawyer in the case seeking implementation of Amended Juvenile Justice Act to try minors as adults in the heinous crime of murder. And she has also represented and won for the media or journalists in the Maligao Blast case against a gag order. Thank you so much for being with us here today, Gayatri.
1: Hi, it's so great to be here. I don't have to convince anybody here that I'm right because I think I'm doing that all the time in court. So it's nice to just give my opinion without having to worry about you agreeing with me.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. This is the space for it. (laughs) All right. So we'd love, Gayatri. we'd love to get a sense of your journey. Can you take us back a few steps? What made you become a lawyer and how did you pick criminal and divorce particularly?
1: Uh, Ever since I started talking as a child, I was always the chatterbox of the house. I was a complete drama queen, over-expressive about absolutely everything in life. My home was my stage. So uh, after school, I really wanted to get into anything that could, uh, you know, enable me to express myself, to dramatize, to just like throw out everything I'm feeling in a much accentuated and exaggerated fashion. And I really thought of my options, I considered mass media, I considered journalism, I considered acting. Uh, I had always trained to be an actress, uh, not a movie TV screen actress, but a theatre artist. So I did my uh, all my levels from the Trinity College of London and speech and drama and communication. And I even started my own workshop and my uh, classes for children. So I trained to be a teacher to get these children to also complete uh, levels in the arts, in the drama and theater. But uh, after college, I realized that, you know, money is also important. And a certain (laughs) lifestyle that my parents had (laughs) given me. And I think my dad also, uh, you know, he noticed the aggressive streak. I I was a little aggressive as a child, verbally. And I was Mm. very, very opinionated and, you know, argued at home all the time. So I think he saw this... um, uh, he he th- he thought and believed that I would make a good lawyer, but <laughs> that's the reason I took up. I went I went to law school, and even when I joined law school, I wasn't actually enjoying the curriculum or the subjects. And uh, believe it or not, my first two years in law school, I was hardly ever in class or in moot court competitions. You know, that's like a mock court that we have. But most mm-hmm. of my time was spent in Saint Xavier's College participating in um, the Miss Malhar contest or oh, in, wow. <laughs> uh, or in Kaleidoscope or in various acting competitions. So even then, I, my heart lay in uh, the theater and I couldn't give up that acting because it was such a big part of me. And it was only in my third year of law school when I started, you know, realizing that I really had a penchant towards criminal law. Because it involved a lot of people, it involved emotions, uh, divorce law involved a lot of scheming. That every day is so different, it's so challenging, that I Mm -hmm. really got attracted to criminal law. And I just decided one fine day that, man, this is what I want to be. I want to be the country's best criminal and divorce lawyer. And then I think that just got me started. And then from then on, I planned my life in that direction of becoming a criminal and divorce lawyer. That's incredible. So we're actually really interested in unpacking uh, one of your cases. So us being female identifying, we're both particularly intrigued by the Haji Ali Darga public interest litigation case, which succeeded in allowing women inside the inner sanctum of the Darga. So can you tell us a bit more about your role in this? Uh, So I was only 19 years old at that time. And uh, I was bored. There were hardly any lectures. So I decided to take up an internship, maybe work towards the cause of women, I thought. So I happened to join this organization called the Bharatiya Muslim Mahila Andolan. And trust me, it it is actually as heavy as it sounds. Okay. So this was a bunch of Muslim ladies who came together just to fight for rights of the women in their community. And one day when we were having lunch... Uh, they, you know, they were discussing about how oppressed and dejected they feel that they aren't allowed to go and offer their prayers at the Haji Ali Darkana. As you know, people from all over the world come to visit the Haji Ali Shrine, which is at Burli. And it was very upsetting for them because being of that faith and having such, you know, they were theists, such big theists and they had so much faith, but they were prevented from going there. And when I asked why, it was only because they were women. And Mm -hmm. believe it or not, I was shocked to hear the reason they were preventing women from entering the uh, sanctum. With all due respect for ideologies held, it was because they believed that the Haji Baba, the saint who was in the coffin could see through a lady's clothes. So that was one reason that they gave. And the other reason that they used to defend themselves was that the men that come to offer namaz or to offer prayers get distracted by the women that come there. So I think that was extremely, you know, derogatory. That was a very derogatory and demeaning reason because you go there to pray and then, you know, it's the mentality, it's your intention. You cannot use that as an excuse to prevent us from offering our prayers that is my right my freedom of religion so so that really perturbed me and I said you know just because you're a lady you can't enter the sanctum that's not done we need to do something about it so I asked them whether you've spoken to a lawyer thought of taking legal action but they said madam who will listen to us you know we are small women working for big interests you know of ladies and who's going this is everything is so political let you need to expend so much money for these things. So I I took it upon myself. I decided let's do this. Initially, a lot of people discouraged me from doing this because they said, you know, don't get into anything that's communal, or you know, you're still young, don't get into this right now. You have your career ahead of you. But I don't think I could let religion and uh, you know people's opinions stop me. So I took it upon myself. I I spoke to a family friend who is a lawyer and I asked him for his help because I was only 19 without a law degree but just with too much zest that I wanted to do something and you know make a change at that time it was only a dream never did I think that this would actually happen but I had so I took a trip to Haji Ali because I said that I can't fight for something I've never experienced or which I've never even visited so I went one evening I uh, went to Haji Ali on my own and I, again, like, like I expected, I was stopped. I wasn't allowed to enter. So I picked up an argument with the priest there that, and he said, no, because you're a lady, you can't enter the sanctum. And I mean, I was expecting that. So I video recorded the entire scenario. I clicked pictures of the barricading that they had made. Then I, sho- I, uh, shooted letters to various authorities, like your minority commissioner and, uh, you know, all the ministers. And I received a response from nobody as I had expected. And then I decided to approach the Honorable High Court. So I approached the Bombay High Court saying that it was violation of my fundamental right to religion and coming from a person who is not a Muslim, okay, and only on the basis of gender. I fought for it and uh, the High Court, you know, ordered in our favor, Uh, they started, they quashed the ban that the Ajahji Ali committee had imposed. And this order was taken right up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court also acknowledged women's rights to pray and enter the sanctum. And, and I feel really good every time I pass Haji Ali today because when I see the line of women waiting to offer their prayers at the Dargah, I, I think that's something that really gives me so much satisfaction every time I pass the Haji Ali Dargah. So Absolutely. that is in short, in nutshell, what happened
0: in this particular case. A 19-year-old kid with such huge impact. I'm so proud of you, Gayatri. Thank you. So do you feel like, um, you know, we're all humans. We all are in some ways always judging and uh, coming up to conclusions. Do you feel like you're always battling how, on how to put yourself and put your emotions apart, away from your client or the, the, the actions that they took at that particular moment?
1: Absolutely, because I think I don't know if this is a positive or a negative effect of uh, my profession, but I think I've become very desensitized to a lot of things. uh, Mm -hmm. Because I'm seeing so much negativity, so much loss, so much pain, so much lies. You know, so much deceit all the time and dealing with people, either the victims of it or the perpetrators of it, you know. Mm. So it's become like so much of an everyday thing that when somebody talks about a rape case or a suicide case, it I don't let it get under my skin. Because if I do that, then it's very difficult to have a good night's sleep. And a lot of people ask me, how can you sleep at night when you're uh, defending somebody who's raped, say a minor girl in the morning, how do you get sleep at night? And Hmm. there are so many, so many cases I've seen where it's not always what meets the eye. So to share one example is I had a case of a young girl who was 24, 25 and she wrote to me through jail and she wrote to me through jail that she had murdered her boss and she was in prison. And only when I spoke to her and I developed an understanding with her I realized that he used to rape her every day. And when she was left with no choice, she strangulated him and killed him. So during the process, a lot of people ask me, how are you okay with defending her when she's killed a lady's husband, a child's father, you know, but there's more to it than what actually meets the eye. And you realize all this only when you interact with your client and actually hear their story. There's always... The actions always come from somewhere, from some past, from some insecurity, from somewhere that is beyond their control. That's honestly what I believe.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, So, um, you know, still keeping the Haji Ali Darga public interest litigation case in mind and what you do for women, let's dive into um, being a female criminal and divorce lawyer in India is not the safest, but you still do it. I want to know a little bit more about that.
1: Okay, I think uh, so ever so I wouldn't say I face any sort of discrimination. But what a guy, a man who could do as a criminal lawyer, it'll take me double the time to do the same thing because I'm not very comfortable with say, uh, talking to police officers, Mm. or you know, making deals under the table with them, or you know, many men male clients are very comfortable with discussing things with a guy as opposed to a girl. Because they also have the ideology that will she understand, will she judge me, you know, how can I share such a dark thing with, you know, a lady. So I think uh, very often it's sad, but I have to take a uh, male colleague with me on a particular case just to, uh, you know, jump these obstacles so that it's an easier and smoother process. And I think in the first two years of my practice, uh, my fiance, so his name is Harsh. He used to drive me to every police station and wait outside because he was so scared that, you know, I'm going there on my own, especially when it was after uh, after sunset. I have also personally faced one or two very bad instances to, uh, you know, talk about one is where I was uh, defending, I was prosecuting. So I was appearing for a lady who had uh, been the victim of rape and the... So the accused was in jail and he's he was threatening me to take back the case and not argue for her and not oppose his bail. And, you know, I refused to do that because I believed in my client and I didn't think that they could, you know, influence me to back out like that. And uh, me and Harsh got followed. We were stalked and they actually implanted some of their men as my rickshaw driver and oh he knew God. where I lived. He knew where Harsh lived and, uh, you know, he, it was a fake auto is what we realized later on that the auto had three different number plates and he was actually not an auto driver. He was some professor who was just playing the role and he tried to threaten Harsh by saying that it's not safe for women to be criminal lawyers. So I would really advise you to tell her not to take up cases like rape. Maybe cases that she's presently doing. And you know, she just got out of the auto, auto-click pictures. And then we went to the police. And that was really unsettling. So that entire episode was very bad. And I would just say that, I mean, I did lose in a way that I did give up the brief. I didn't continue working on that case. Though I wanted to, but I think my life was more important at that point of time than fighting for my clients. So I gave it up and it just stopped. All the harassment stopped. So I was so worried all the time after this incident and then I had to just bounce out of it, you know. I I said I can't keep going on with this. Let's move on from now.
0: I can't imagine the mental trauma and stress that you and your family have to go through. So thank you for being so brave for us. Can you speak a little bit about women in academia or in an office environment?
1: So again, in my office setup as well, I'm the only girl. And it is really weird because even when I'm in the court, I can see only men around me. And the ratio of men is to women in a criminal court is baffling because you don't find too many women lawyers out there. And even to have a role model to look up to who's, you know, sort of managed family and become a successful women criminal lawyer is very difficult. There are very few who've done that.
0: Hope you're enjoying part 1 of the episode. We continue this incredible conversation with Gayathri in part 2 of the episode.